0: You are listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com
1: Welcome back to private parts unknown a podcast about love and sexuality around the world I'm Courtney Kosak and today is an exciting day Because I'm revisiting our Tokyo series, which you may or may not know, culminated in a happy ending massage. And that happy ending massage completely changed my perspective on sex, pleasure, just so many things. It was mind-blowing. I'm going to give you the full details on that experience, which is probably going to give you some yoni fever of your own. But first, I'm going to give you the cliff notes of our interviews that led to that dare that led to the best ending of a trip ever. So, first up, we interviewed Joe and Yuki. Oh my God, you guys. We have been waiting with bated breath to really dig into this conversation. But first, let's get your intros. We're here with...
2: Joe McReynolds, a subculture researcher at Keio University.
1: And... I'm
3: Yuki Uzume. Okay, I will introduce myself in Japanese so he yeah. introduced to me. Okay. Okay. Watashi Yuki Uzume Yeah.
2: So this is Yuki, uh also goes by Uzume.
3: Uzume wa ano Nihon de saiko no stripper tte iu imi
2: Uzume Uzume is the name of the uh or Uzume is the name of the of uh, the first uh stripper in Japanese history.
3: Yeah. And so that is from before Christ was born.
2: So it's it's a story from prior to the birth of Christ, uh, the first stripper, Japanese stripper. I
3: am uh, an out-call service, that is called Delihel in Japanese, and now I am sex worker.
2: So Yuki is working as a sex worker, as a model, as a columnist for an underground newsletter. Uh, hey,
3: thank you for translating me. Yeah. That's it.
1: <laughs> That's yeah. it. So,
2: Yeah, Yuki does a lot of things. Um, She is what you all in Los Angeles would call a multi hyphenate. Um, Multi
1: hyphenate. Yes, we can relate to that. We went to Tokyo with a lot of questions about sex, relationships, and gender. And one of the big things we learned was that feminism isn't quite as far along in Japan as it is in the
2: United States. Okay, so if we're talking gender equality, in Japan more generally, Mm -hmm. um, gender equality in Japan is not great. I mean, it's not great in the U S either, but it's, it's a whole different level of not great in in Japan. Yeah. Like pay equality, um, advancement in, uh, I I, I had a friend who worked in a, a high level finance job here and like in the middle of a meeting, Uh, Like a senior vice president of the bank asked her what color her underwear was that day, like in the middle of the meeting. And she was like the Mm. one female analyst in the analyst division when all the other women were on like secretarial tracks. And so, yeah, in corporate Japan, it can still be kind of a madmen kind of atmosphere. Obviously, that totally varies, though, depending on whether you're talking like old school Japanese conglomerates and things like that versus... Or thinking. Creative, right. yeah, versus like, uh, you know, younger, creative class jobs. So so what type of office environment? You're, there's a huge range. So that's that's what I'm saying it is, is definitely there's a whole story to be told there, but it's, there's not just sort of one story. There's, you know, multiple Japans, just as there are kind of multiple Americas in this regard.
1: Gay rights and queer culture in Japan was also
2: something we wanted to know about. There's a there's by the way there's a documentary coming out that everyone should watch called Queer Japan, that's uh, specifically about uh, how queer culture plays out in Japan and even whether the concept of queer maps in a one to one way onto Japanese sexual and gender diversity. I would say it can vary even depending on the neighborhood. Like everyone who comes here who's queer knows about Shinjuku Nichome, which is the LGBT district that's uh, it's very internationalized. It's very recognizable as a gayborhood. Uh But the oldest LGBT neighborhood in Tokyo is actually Asakusa, where there's the uh, Sensoji Temple. And it's kind of a, a more sort of traditional neighborhood. But in the surrounding streets all around the temple, there aren't rainbow flags out or anything, but there's dozens and dozens of queer spaces, gay bars, saunas, you name it, including... Tokyo's premier furry bar actually is is in Asakusa. And you wouldn't know it walking around unless you were looking for it because it's done in a more sort of Tokyo like fashion where things are kind of more introduction based and low-key. So
3: And also Shinbashi is also
2: Yeah, Shinbashi also has yeah, mm-hmm. a whole a whole LGBT district.
3: And also I have our LGBT friend, colleague, F T Mel. Female to man, oh, trans. Translator. So she kept my money, same job. Then she kept money for surgery, you know, make a dick. Then she quit my job. She became man. Now he.
1: <laughs> oh, gotcha. Tell us about… The trans situation in Japan.
2: Okay. So, have you guys heard about the Goldfinger incident last year? No. Okay. So, this is um, a big deal, actually. And so, uh, Goldfinger is the best known lesbian bar in Tokyo. It's in uh, Shinjuku Nichome, the aforementioned uh, major uh, LGBT neighborhood. And Goldfinger is a women only bar. And Ellen McCready. She's a trans woman who is a professor of philosophy here in Tokyo, and she was refused entry into Goldfinger, uh, which then sparked a massive conversation about transphobia in the gay community, in Tokyo specifically. And then Ellen went and started her own party series called Waifu Party, like wife waifu, uh, that's trans inclusive and generally an awesome time. Yeah, there's a whole kind of ongoing conversation. the The owner of Goldfinger apologized. Ellen accepted the apology. Some other people have said that they think the apology didn't go nearly far enough. Uh, there, but there's there's this kind of ongoing conversation about how trans people fit into the queer fabric of Tokyo.
1: And then, is there also political or legislative? aspect to that you know like with bathroom bans in the United States yeah.
2: So it's interesting there is massive support for gay marriage among the Japanese population just and in, in, in it's changed a ton just in not that many years like if you look at uh, public opinion surveys I think it's it's something between 70 and 80% support for uh for gay marriage but that's not going to move the diet the Japanese legislature to action so it's an open question when gay marriage or recognition of gay relationships will happen in Japan
3: uh, so Yuki is
2: saying that that recently lesbian uh sex work like sex work by women for women yeah, is becoming uh, a is woman becoming woman a, a sort woman. of a popular trend
3: yeah also my friends use that really yeah, but yeah
2: very popular so Different areas of Tokyo actually recognize gay relationships differently. Tokyo is divided into wards, and the wards are more like cities than neighborhoods, really. Mm -hmm. Like, they have a lot of legal powers. And so, like, Shibuya Ward uh, recognizes gay marriages. That doesn't necessarily do a whole lot for you, you know, because most rights and things are at the national level. But that's a thing where it's going almost section by section of Tokyo in recognizing gay relationships.
1: We learned so much from Joe and Yuki. You gotta listen to their full episode. There's so much good stuff about sex work, gender equality, and porn in Japan. Yuki also has this compelling theory that everybody is looking for their quote unquote real daddy in a sexual relationship. It's fascinating. (laughs) There is a link in the description to that full episode, which is called a subcultures researcher and a sex worker walk into a Tokyo bar. But next, we're gonna hear more about what it's like to be gay in Tokyo from our second interview with Chris Wells.
4: So my name is Christopher Michael Wells. I've been here since 1994. Um, I came to study Japanese. I was teaching English at Japanese corporations uh, like Tokyo Gas and the Japanese Nike and Sumitomo, um, which was super interesting. And then a friend of mine who's a lawyer from Australia started the Tokyo Comedy Store. So I'm a founding member of the Tokyo Comedy Store. That's
1: so dope. That's incredible. It's
4: wild. It's like – I was like a speech team guy from way back and – totally into performing, and he he didn't know that, but he was like, would you like to do improv? And I was like, that was one of my favorite speech team, you know, things, so yes, I would like to do improv.
1: So after Chris moved to Tokyo in the 90s, he found himself at the center of Tokyo's fledgling comedy scene, which is much more thriving these days, in part because he met his now husband, June, and they started Japan's first improv school together. But it wasn't always easy to be out and proud in Japan. I mean, this is 25 years ago? Yes. So what was it like to be gay in Japan at that time?
4: So there's two different stories here. There's what it's like to be gay in Japan for someone who's Japanese and working at a traditional company. Hmm. And the answer to that is awful. Um, And there's two prongs to that. One is no one talks about their private life at work anyway. And so you wouldn't talk about any girlfriends or boyfriends that you had. So that's happening in the society. And then the other thing is no one would come out as gay or lesbian because you would be probably ostracized and considered to be really strange. And you could get bullied even at work for that in
1: 1994. So compared to, you know, you just come to the U.S., was it considerably worse
4: coming from the u.s it was worse it was like stepping into a society that was in the 1970s 1960s uh-huh. well 60s there's too much fun stuff happening but 1950s stereotypical images of lgbt community like on television awful representation like just awful you know like shockingly awful they right. were
1: the butt of every joke or
4: butt of jokes horrible stereotypes Complete confusion and zero awareness of the difference between a drag queen, a transgendered mm. person, a gay person. Conflation of being cis male homosexual with being transgendered. Mm. Like total, full on. Like, like your mind just is blown. You're watching Japanese shows as gradually as my Japanese improved. And I'm watching what they call like a wide show entertainment show. There are a lot of... People who, because only now are we beginning to have proper understanding of gender and sexuality in Japan. But when I arrived, there were several very famous, what in the past we would call cross-dressing. Like, remember we had Flip Wilson in America? Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know about that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But there's, a, there's a, like a long history of cross-dressing comedians who may or may not have been anywhere on the gender binary uh, mm-hmm. spectrum. But here, they were just... Accepted in the way that in Japanese theater, men have always played women because women weren't allowed to play right. women. <laughs> you know, so old
0: school Shakespeare.
4: Yes, exactly, exactly. So ignorance, complete and total ignorance.
1: Also, if the, if that's not their real identity and it's just a whole performance thing, it almost runs the risk of being like blackface in a way.
4: Totally, and for some of them, I think it is. There was even a comedian here about 10 years ago who had a character called Hard Gay. Ooh. Gay. And his thing was tight leather shorts, bare-chested leather vest, and just weird, like silly, weird, stereotypical. I, I have no idea what it was about, but he's not gay. He has other characters. So it was like black-faced. Uh. And still to this day, I don't know if some of the, This is the thing. I don't know what they are like. And they haven't come out as, oh, I'm actually transgendered. I'm a trans woman. Or are you just the equivalent of Flip Wilson? I don't know.
1: So now fast forward 25 years. What's the new – because in the United States, it's like we have Transparent now. I feel like in the last five years-ish, the cultural conversation has just been so much more – Woke, for lack of a better word. Are you guys going through that same kind of enlightenment here?
4: Happily, yes. So in the last five to 10 years, there's been a sea change in representation. And it's down to groups that are um, gay rights groups that are really working on behind the scenes. It's called Nemawashi in Japanese. It's like achieving consensus before the meeting, achieving consensus behind the scenes. So they're going in and they're doing the work of explaining to producers and people like, you just can't do this. You know, this is what LGBT plus is. And there are teachers that post in some of the groups on Facebook for, uh, there's a group called uh, Stonewall Japan. And there are teachers out in the hinterland doing these exchange programs that they have, um, for teachers. And they'll show in a tiny town, there will be an LGBT poster put up for the students to read because it was it. Hakuhodo or Dentsu, one of the giant advertising agencies, did a nationwide survey and came up with a figure of, was it 3% that they came up with? Anyway, they came up with a percentage figure that was much higher than any Japanese ever thought and quickly calculates into millions of people, right? And the, hundreds of thousands.
1: That they think are, are...
4: LGBT Yeah, queer. Queer, yeah, queer. For to to stop saying like five letters in a row. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and and the Japanese, to their credit... And partially because there's a conservative prohibition against deviating from the norm, but there's no religious prohibition. So there's a probrium in terms of you are not going along with our cultural standards, but there isn't that wicked you're going to hell thing yeah. that we have in America. It removes some of the vitriol from the conversation and some of the disdain that we have in America, which is so painful and and so evident mm. um, in American discourse. So. There's been a quick logical shift in the educational area to well, obviously we have a few you know hundred thousand students that are that are queer in one way or another, so we need to tell them that it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a paradise yet, and pe- there's still resistance, and obviously it's not evenly distributed. But I was amazed the first time I saw the poster. I mean, <laughs> it explains L is this, G is this, asexual is this your sexuality might change. Don't think that what you feel now will be the thing that you're going to feel forever. Oh, I
1: love that. It's very nuanced.
4: Amazing. And that's down to these groups that are doing the groundwork in Japan.
1: And so now when you watch TV, are you seeing representations that are a little more authentic?
4: Much better. So the entertainment thing, they're still doing their thing. And the famous ones are so locked in that I don't know if they would ever take a chance. But the people that they bring out and that are um, explaining things are the people that you would want to be explaining gender, sexuality, the difference between being trans and being homosexual, like all that stuff. I'm, I'm just, my jaw is dropping the last five years. I'm like, oh, this is what I would want. These are the people who you want explaining. Very good and very respectful. Whereas before it was just the butt of jokes and just not understanding and you know,
1: yeah. Yeah. So you're, but you're married. Yes. Is it recognized? What's the gay marriage regulations here?
4: We have no recognition of gay marriage in Japan. There is what I call gay marriage light. So there's registration that you can do on the ward basis. So they're
2: saying locally, you you can say like you're Shibuya married, but that doesn't necessarily. count oh yeah, that's other right. places, right? Yes,
4: and I think we have to be very precise about the language we use. It is a relationship registration process that has no legal repercussions it is a suggestion that you be allowed to visit your partner in the hospital and there are some like sort of japanese shaming mechanisms in place like they will list hospitals every year that don't conform to it so it's it's not what we have we got married in new york and in america it's very different i had an interesting experience where i was going up for surgery i was giving a kidney to my brother and in the first Oh my god, you're amazing. A great
2: <laughs> Can we just stop to say that? <laughs> yeah, seriously. He's like, I just lightly gave someone an organ, no big deal. <laughs>
4: just a thing. But it was right before our 20th anniversary. And we were gonna get married on March 20th. And then we got the back call for the the kidney. And so we wanted to get married before the surgery. So the preparatory testing and everything that was being done, it was my fiance who was with me. Then we go to New York, get married, see Kinky Boots on our wedding day. It's like the gayest day ever. Yes, so cute. (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) Uh, It was so cool. We were wearing boutonnieres. And so the the manager of the theater was like, what's happening here? Is it someone's birthday? And I was like, no, we just got married. She's like, see me at the intermission. And then she gave us free drinks. And it was so cool. Yeah, New York is awesome. But then when we went back – they w- would introduce June as my spouse. And there's a difference, you guys. There is a complete and total difference. I could get...
1: Aww. Aww. Uh
4: Yeah, it's very different when it's legally recognized. So we're waiting for that here. There's a group that's working on that. Um, and they're doing all the, the, all the stuff behind the scenes. We thought it might happen for the Olympics. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So we're waiting. And I'm, you know, 53. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're starting to, like, it's on my list of things to do the, you know, contracts that we have to do to make sure that we can do all the things we need to do if someone gets in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's necessary, you know. And as I explained to June, it's like, it's radical for queer people to get married. You know, it's a radical move. It's not conforming to society and, and it's not a step backwards. It is actually for us, it's radical, you know? So anyway, yeah.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Um, and so, so here, even though you're married in New York,
4: we don't have any of the benefits. So I get the slight fun of the look on Japanese people's faces, because when you say you've been here this long, the next question is always, mm. Is your wife Japanese? And then I always get to say, My husband is. So. <laughs> <laughs> And now, I mean, honestly, like, because of everything that's going on in TV and because of these the kuyak show, the, the ward office, um, you know, marriage light things that are happening that everyone knows about, they're like, oh, okay, wow, interesting. All right, that's a new thing. That's happening. So the reaction is very different.
1: Do you see a generational difference as well? Are there older Japanese people that are like, I don't understand what you're talking about? And then younger people that are like, oh, yes, of course.
4: Absolutely. Like with older Japanese people, I've literally been asked which one of you is the wife. Mm. Literally. Oh. Who's the which one's the <laughs> wife? And, oh my god, and I Do you just have a the answer. Yeah, I just say, I'd say, there is no wife, it's two men, we're two husbands. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> and the cute couple across the street, there's a grandma and grandpa across the street, and I'm like, when they're 90, I'm not going to push the issue. I just always explain. She asked me, She's has a little bit of memory problem. So she must have asked me 50 times the first year we moved in here. Oh. Is, your, is your wife Japanese? Is your wife Japanese? And I just patiently am like, I live with a Japanese man.
2: I live with a Japanese man.
4: But then everyone else on the block is, you know, younger and or you know maybe 60 so i tell them you know oh we're married that's that's my husband and everyone's very cool and actually a couple next door the woman was like are you guys family and i was like oh yeah yeah we're, we're married and so everyone's super cool that's the other thing i was going to get to that bifurcation of, of experiences is that if you're in a traditional japanese company it's awful but june and i have always worked for ourselves so we've never had that problem
1: Fun fact, Chris, who you just heard from, is the JR track announcer, so we got to hear his voice while we were riding the subway around Tokyo. His full episode is called Gay and Married in the U.S., but not quite yet in Japan, and he is lovely, he's got such an interesting perspective, and the whole episode is just so good, so definitely go back and give that a listen. But next up is the interview that led to the happy ending massage. Ooh, We're getting closer. Hey, privates. Woo, woo. Privates with penises, I'm talking to you. Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to this show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure, and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just wanna say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, wait for the right girl when she comes, and in the meantime, you know you are gonna be getting yours and having a good time, so you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to PPUPOD.com, that's the website, PPUPOD.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is PPUPOD.com and enter code PRIVATE10. And it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. So on our second to last day in Tokyo, it was our last day of interviews, we met up with these two really cool chicks for an episode called Japanese Girl Power. And one of those gals was Hiroko Imai. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Hiroko, and I'm currently working
5: as a reporter and kind of like a producer in Japan. And I was born and
1: raised in Yokohama. It's really close from Tokyo. And I'm 32. So in this interview, Hiroko explained the five levels of sex and intimacy work in Japan.
5: So level one, I don't consider it as a sex work, but it's like we have hostess. Uh-huh. That's something really special in Japan, right? But they don't have sex with the customers unless they are really low-level hostess. Because like um, if they do, they would be called a loser because that's not something they should do they
2: it's should say intimacy service mm-hmm.
5: right not they should sex. say hey yeah you're attractive but no so if they just have sex then customers would wouldn't come for them anymore so it's like level one but for me level zero yeah and they'll are like lingerie hostess clubs lingerie, lingerie. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so bra and shorts and like like, yeah, drink with the customers.
1: Are they stripping or anything like that? Are they dancing? I don't think so. No, no,
5: no, no. no. Just they were, they're like, by or something with bra and
2: shorts. So you just look sexy and, uh. and you drink with the customers? I want this job. <laughs> 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 I'm coming back.
1: So that's like level one to you? Yeah, one. Do you know any girls that do that? Yes. And socially, do they pay the price for that? Are they judged for that? Or is that oh, like they, Oh, cool? they keep it secret. Uh, they tell their friends that they are hostess. Doesn't everybody know what that means? Oh, regular hostess. Yes, clothes on yes. hostess.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. As opposed to the lingerie kind?
5: Uh, I mean, I found out about one of them because I told her like, hey, it's your birthday. I'm going to need to go to your shop And I will spend some money. Let's drink some champagne. And she said, like, Hiroko, no, 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 (laughs) no.
4: Don't invite other friends, please. Don't do that.
5: And I'm like, why are you, why are you being so shy? And she told me, like, hey, I'm not a hostess. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, kind of, like, level two is, um, we call it oppabu. oppabu. Oppai. Oppai. What does that mean? Boobs. Boobs. So, Boobs pub is like, I think you can, you wear dresses, normal dress, but like, when they have show times, they will become topless and they sit on the customer. Customers lap, face to face. Lap dances. lap
4: Lap dance? Oh, really?
5: Do they dance? I don't think so. They just like, let the customers lick and like. Touch their boobs and kiss with the customers. Do you make a lot of money doing that? Mm. I hope so. I think so. I mean, how would let someone play with my boobs?
1: (laughs) I don't know what level I'd stop at. Sophia, this is not for you to change your career. This is for us to understand the levels of sex. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs)
2: Why can't it be both? (laughs) Do you have to have big boobs to work there or any boobs? I
5: think any boobs. Okay, I like that. I think bigger to better. I'm not so sure. Oh, I'm not sure. a recruiter, so yeah. <laughs> no. I'm just wondering. <laughs> and uh, level three, pinsaro. is like pink salon. Like girls would do BJ to uh, customers. Okay. But like other than that, like they have, I don't know. Have you ever been to mangakisa during your stay in Japan? No. So they all are kind of like aisle seats. Boxes, boxes type like they have doors and walls, but they don't have ceilings and like the, little cubicles. Oh, wow! Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> thank you. So it's a place that has a bunch of these little cubicles, mm-hmm. and you go in there and, and you, you get your blowjob.
5: I think so. And I'm it's not like a really sure, too, right? They probably, yeah, 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 yeah. hand job, too. And like, they girls can be naked or can be dressed up with something. And like the guy staff members are looking around, like if the customers wouldn't, you know, forcing casts to do the sex. And guys can also lick pussy too, if they want to.
1: If they want to do it for free. <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> they can reciprocate.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Sophia, you on board for that level or what? I mean, this sounds better and better all the time.
5: Oh, my God, really?
1: She, I mean, if they're going to give me head, I don't even have to do
5: anything.
1: Why is this not a more accepted career? You definitely have to give them a BJ. That's the main part of the No, job. she said if they want to give you head, oh, oh, they like Oh, you know, that's like a bonus. That's like a bonus. You know, as a, as guys as
5: wouldn't be happy before they go back. You know, if they cannot come, then, you know. Yeah, oh, so, okay. so they maybe at the same just... time, at the same time, maybe. 69. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's fair. Yeah. I'm not so sure. Maybe some of the angel customers would be like, hey, I just came here to pleasure you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh my God. That's what Future I'm husband. About. Okay. <laughs> so, pink salon. Mm. That's level three.
1: Yeah. And I think then there's a straight up
5: prostitution, right? Oh, Helles. Helles. What does that mean? Well, We call herusu or delivery herusu. Well, mainly we call delivery health. But health is like, um, you know, prostitute without inserting. So, like, right before the sex, kind of. Non-penetrative mm-hmm. sex. We can just, like, I don't know, rub. Finger. Or Dry
1: hump. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: But... I'm sure because some of my friends because when I was reading those kind of you know prostitute books to find cute girls when I was drunk with my friend (laughs) then I found my friend was on that book and I'm like oh shit (laughs) and I, I called her like hey are you a prostitute and she's like oh my god where did you find find out about it and I'm I think other friends kind of noticed but I closed the book asap but are you like midi midi now or something yeah her her name her, she changed her name uh-huh and she told me about her stories of working there and she told me like well we say we don't do sex there it's like prohibited but you know it whenever a customer gives me like 5000 yen um, plus, like additional fifty dollars, then I would just do sex, and I'm I was really surprised. Yeah,
1: interesting. Wow. Fifty bucks, huh? It's um, a really good deal.
5: <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, she's getting more.
1: She's getting more, but she's like, if you'll, if you, they tip me a little bit extra. No, but that's what I'm saying. You get fifty <laughs> bucks for penetration. <laughs> that's a pretty good deal. Get out of here. Yeah, I'm here <laughs> to work.
5: And, and like, there are two types. So. Normally, those girls go to your hotel. That's why it's called delivery health. Uh. But some of the types, those shops have like hotel kind of place. So customers visit there. Uh You can see those kind of places in many hidden areas in Japan. Oh, really? It's not like
1: one neighborhood or anything like that?
5: Many places, I would say.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's
5: the highest level. Oh, highest level is soprando. Yes, so yeah, yeah. 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 Soplands, like the owner of the soplands, he told me like, "Hey, we are not saying it's okay to have sex because it's illegal here. We're just giving them, you know, a dating chance." And this shop service is sopland, so we wash customers' bodies. But while we do that, if girls and customers fall in love, there's nothing we can stop. That's what they claim. Yeah. <laughs> Great. If girls and customers yeah, yeah. fall in love. <laughs> and my friend is working as a soap prostitute. I mean, she's trying to quit that job and she's trying to move to health club gotcha. So that, you know, she doesn't need to have sex all the time because she's having like five to ten customers a day.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, and she told me it's
5: really tiring.
1: Yeah, I bet. Did she make a lot of money?
5: A lot, yes. Mm. So that sort of makes it worth it. I mean, like, at least ten times better than my monthly salary. Oh, wow. wow. Mm -hmm. I think. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm
1: not, you know, earning much money
5: (laughs) in
0: general.
1: (laughs) This interview was amazing. Hiroko also told us about cheating, single motherhood, and sugar daddy culture in Tokyo. And then it was her friend Marina's
0: turn. Hello, uh, I'm Marina. And I'm a half Japanese, half American, 20-something, who just recently moved to Tokyo three months ago. So I'm still new here.
1: We'd asked about gender equality. So Marina explained this concept called the M-curve.
0: I did study in school. There's this thing called the M curve. You can Google it if you want. It's about how women in Japan, while they're young, they start working and the employment goes up and then they have a baby and then it plummets. And then once the kids are like 18, the moms have to go back to work. And so they start picking up part time jobs. So it's studied. There's a word for it. And yeah, I think. There's definitely progress being made, but as Hiroko said, a lot of people are really complacent, and I was thinking when you guys were talking to her, like, the education system in Japan is very, like, you just get, not barked at, but, like, you just memorize and you learn. There's no creative expression, there's no creative thinking, so there's no room for people to, like... Make these opinions and have this self awareness. Exactly. Because it's just from. Critical thinking is not something that's taught. That's right. So they just kind of go into the system, the status quo, as you said. And I think with outside influence, with companies like American companies, I went to a recent workshop called, it was like through Google. Basically, it's like a diversity initiative. And when they go to other countries, it's about including people of different abilities and race. But in Japan, they have to start with gender. So it was all about female empowerment in the workplace. But like that same organization, when they go to other countries, they're focusing on different types of diversity. So in Japan, they have to start at gender. That's really interesting. Yeah. The funny thing about gender equality in Japan is that even though
1: it's further behind in most professional spheres, there is a sort of feminism when it comes to sex and sex work. Like women actually have purchasing power here and intimacy is available to them as a product. I really wanna explore this more in the future because it's pretty unique. Anyway, at the end of the interview, Hiroko freaking dares us to try one of the levels of sex work. Is there anything that you want to tell us that we haven't asked that you're like, ah, you got to know this? About yes, yes, yeah, yes, us.
5: for sure. Uh, the one thing I want you guys to try is a male prostitute.
1: Ah, Okay. Uh, we're almost out of tell time. Me, but <laughs> 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 Tell me what that entails.
5: Uh, so... There is a male prostitution service group, and I did the interview with the number one guy. Anyways, the guy told us so many techniques, but he told us, like, hey, I can't show you this technique in front of the camera because other viewers might think, oh, if I do this, this, then girls would have fun and do it without the proper training. It hurts, you know. Yeah. Yeah, girls, so... He showed what, me... What, like
1: fisting or what are you...
4: Oh, finger, finger right, things. Right. Sure. Finger you're things and just. like
5: licking techniques. And they start with the massage. But they are really good at, you know, giving like kisses all over the body and licking. And they can't really insert. But they have the special techniques. So when they are like moving their fingers with their bodies, they can fi- let us feel like... Uh, it. It's like inserting.
1: It feels like sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he told me. Do you think my boyfriend and her husband would be Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. But you know. It's for work. (laughs) It's for
5: research. Max, if you're listening to this, it was
2: (laughs) for work. (laughs) He doesn't listen to this. This is fine. But seriously,
5: um, so when I interviewed them, I was not in an official relationship, but I was kind of dating with someone. Mm-hmm. So I asked the guest, hey, can I rent you? But I'm not going to rent you alone. Can my date rent you? So that he could learn that technique from that professional. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, my, my date told me like, oh, so you're telling me that I'm not good enough. So, <laughs> uh. So I canceled it. But, you know.
2: But you can do that.
1: So like, if my partner was here, we could get that guy to come over and I'll be like,
5: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Give him
1: a lesson. I I mean, mean, we need extra money, but
5: you know. Yeah, yeah. And like, that um, shop is really, really, uh, something really new. And Japanese guys dream job, right? Like, getting paid with having sex with girls. Oh my God, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so many guys applied. (laughs) <laughs> and the owner picked only the best ones.
1: Hot? Hot guys? Yeah, yeah
5: hot guys. So it's yeah, like they, a nice they body hot.
1: and they know how to finger?
5: I wouldn't say it's they have nice body, like especially for American people. They might be too skinny because they're not really macho.
1: So like nice face? Listen, mm-hmm. anybody who knows how to finger is all right with me. <laughs>
5: You know, so I did the interview with the the customer girl, too., oh. and she told me like, I thought I knew about sex, but I knew nothing <laughs> before having sex with sex. I mean, like you know, yeah, him, so it's like whole new level, and girls should experience that. I was really, you know tempted, like, ah, I can't really be- betray my date. But he refused to, you know, learn the technique. Then maybe <laughs> I'm still thinking, like, oh, should I?
1: <laughs> it sounds fun, as hell. Yeah, like,
5: yeah. I, kinda hey, wanna do I it. know. I do.
1: <laughs> I'm like, well, tomorrow oh, I know the number. <laughs> <laughs> and now for the moment we've all been waiting for. This is the story of my Tokyo happy ending massage. Fireworks, fireworks, fireworks. (laughs) So I recently wrote about this for Cosmo and then I was like, damn, I gotta make this an audio version for the privates. This is pretty sexy. This is pretty spicy. So today I wanna share it with you. There was a full moon outside the hotel window my best friend was downstairs in the lobby and a strange man was jerking me off with a vibrator no this wasn't a fantasy this was my real life we didn't go to tokyo with the intention of being sex tourists but that's what happened 30 minutes earlier i'd rushed up the elevator and through the hall to meet my erotic masseuse As I approached our hotel room door, I was greeted by a gorgeous 20-something Japanese man with flawless skin holding a gift bag. We exchanged hellos in each other's language and then giggling went inside.
0: Ah. (laughs) I was
1: buzzing at an 11, (laughs) a little drunk and electric with anticipation coursing through my body. My nervous energy bubbled over as I fumbled with the key card. So how did I get here on the verge of my first happy ending massage? Well, in February 2020, on the cusp of a certain global pandemic, before people had ever thought of calling a pandemic a pandemic or a panini, <laughs> my best friend and I went to Tokyo, Japan for our comedy sex travel podcast, Private Parts Unknown. You're listening to it, baby. And at the end of our last interview for this trip with Hiroko Amai, a very cool 30-something local reporter and producer, we innocently asked our standard final question, anything else? This just happens to be the best, most underrated interview question of all time, BTW. And what happened next is exhibit A for why. We expected her to answer with maybe like a sightseeing recommendation or some wacky anime dessert. But Hiroko said, The one thing I want you guys to try is a male prostitute. (laughs) Just to clarify, by prostitute, she was referring to erotic masseuses that didn't engage in insertion, but instead performed services like licking, kissing, and fingering, in case you were looking for a more technical definition. See, she'd interviewed one of the top erotic masseuses for work, and she'd been tempted to experiment with the experience but never did. I think she was excited about having us be the guinea pigs. We laughed initially, although you can hear on the tape that we were quickly intrigued by the suggestion— Earlier in the interview, Hiroko described the levels of sex and intimacy work in Japan, from faux boyfriend or faux girlfriend companionship available at host and hostess clubs, up to Soaplands, which are the closest thing to American-style brothels. Hiroko explained that one level below Soaplands is a service called Delivery Health, which is basically like Postmates for ladies who want to get off. She told us, Thousands of guys auditioned to work at one of the delivery health agencies, like American Idol for gigolos. Those accepted were specially trained with fingering techniques that titillate women without penetration. Yes, Tokyo is a truly magical place. What's funny is that when Hiroko first told us about the service, I'd pictured older women clientele in my mind. I didn't see myself as a potential customer. But when she suggested we try it, it felt like a dare in the best way possible. I'm in a monogamous long-term relationship. Now he's my fiance, but he was my live-in boyfriend at the time. So I needed permission. (laughs) I felt emboldened by my plausible excuse. I mean, I was in Tokyo to do research for my sex podcast, after all. I didn't want to pay for a long-distance call. Plus, I wanted to give him time to think about it, so I sent him a text. Hey, baby. Somebody we interviewed recommended we get an erotic massage. No sex, obs. But I just wanted to ask if that's cool with you first. Let me know. Kissy face. Nervous and excited, butterflies danced in my stomach while I waited for a response. But I didn't have to wait long. Four minutes later, I saw those gray dots appear, and he replied, LOL, yeah, no prob. Kissy face. Yes, my jaw dropped. What an awesome response. Strangely, it made me want to marry him. My boyfriend had always seemed like he would be a good husband, but this was a defining moment that seriously reinforced his life partner potential. My co-host and I went to a Denny's-like Japanese restaurant with Hiroko where she ordered our masseuses for later that night. Mine had a crown next to his name on the website indicating he was a top provider, and I couldn't wait to find out what that felt like in practice. As we dined, we discussed our pregame plans, which found us bar hopping around Shinjuku and eventually landing at an SNM club in Ginza called Blackheart, as one does, where we completely lost track of time, thanks to some very attentive hostesses who never let our glasses run empty. I guess time flies when you're pre-gaming your erotic massage. <laughs> we got a cab and rushed back to our hotel. I scampered up the elevator and through the hall to meet my erotic masseuse. The anticipation was wild. Once we got to the bed in my hotel room, I just stood there in silence for a second. I'd never done this before. So I tried to ask how the whole thing worked. But beyond saying hi, we didn't have many words in common. Awkward giggles <laughs> ensued as I got out my phone and opened Google Translate to tap out. I've never done this before. You've shown me what to do. He took over from there, ushering me to the shower. Apparently, it's customary for both parties to shower beforehand, and sometimes after too, which I totally approve of. And while he took his turn, I found out that unassuming little gift bag had been loaded with an arsenal of sex toys that were now carefully placed on the bed alongside a bottle of massage oil and a bottle of lube. After his shower, it was finally time for the main event. He oiled me up as I lay face down on the bed, gave me a very short massage with oil, and then moved on to the erotic portion. I recognized some of the expert fingering, butterfly kissing, and sucking techniques that Hiroko had mentioned. Then he moved on to the vibrators, cycling through a few different options from his bag of tricks. My masseuse had a boner, which I took as a compliment. (laughs) But ever the professional, he kept the focus on me. Though I did feel like maybe I could have had a freebie if I wanted it. (laughs) But I didn't need it because it was thrilling just to have a stranger's hands on my body. I felt like I was living a fantasy. I didn't come during the actual massage. Ironically, I was too excited. But instead, I felt a sexy euphoria that started with my masseuse's first touch and lasted well after I landed back in Los Angeles and resumed my regular life. It was like edging for a full week, well worth the 11,000 yen, aka just over $100 at the time. Usually my best friend and I inevitably wind up fighting at the end of our travels together, but this trip was different. There was no room for negativity after a happy ending. The next day, we were literally skipping through Tokyo on the way to the airport. We were beside ourselves, barely able to believe our good fortune, exclaiming, How great was that? I have never felt like my pleasure was such a priority. Can you believe my partner let me do this? (laughs) We were ecstatic. So would I recommend a friend get a happy ending massage? Uh, A million times, yes. We were joking that we might start leading tours to Tokyo so more women could give it a try. It was an experience that changed me on multiple levels. To have my sexual satisfaction taken so seriously, literally like it was a job, felt very empowering as a woman. That's not how our culture is typically oriented. We take for granted that men are desirous and deserving of pleasure, but we don't tend to let women have that same sexual purchasing power. And oh my god, what a huge turn on. It was a different kind of release than I get from a typical romantic exchange. And it expanded my mind to aspects of open relationships that I hadn't considered before, I was blown away by how cool my boyfriend was about allowing me to have this experience inside our up-till-now monogamous relationship, and it helped me realize that dalliances like this can lend a little extra spice to a long-term relationship without actually going full poly. I was so horny on the plane ride home, (laughs) cramped in my economy seat on an international flight, but I tried to watch porn on my phone, covertly. It was a threesome scenario. A couple hiring a lady sex worker in Amsterdam. I straddled a ridge on my seat and rocked myself into it hard. A couple Chinese schoolboys across the aisle burst out laughing. They were on to me. Clowning on me and pointing me out to their friends. Not even that could stop my grinding. I was so turned on. It was obvious that what happens in Tokyo doesn't necessarily stay in Tokyo. That extra erotic euphoria was a persistent stowaway. As soon as my boyfriend picked me up from the airport in LA, I mulled him with kisses. I couldn't stop touching him in the car. And when we got home, I could hardly wait to rip his clothes off and fuck. I mean, we're both busy, and we had gotten in a little bit of a rut of not prioritizing sex before the trip. But my happy ending reinvigorated us both. Suffice it to say, I was a satisfied customer, and I can't wait to go back to Tokyo. In the meantime, it's kind of a bummer that erotic massages for women are harder to find in America. Although perhaps it's just a matter of learning the lingo. Several months after we got back from our trip, we interviewed writer and sex work activist, Selena the Stripper, who told us that you can find similar services in Los Angeles under the name Yoni Massage. Hmm, maybe it's time I asked my boyfriend if I can do some more research. That's a pretty epic ending to a trip, right? (laughs) (laughs) And it was so interesting to talk to Selena the stripper about their happy ending massage, which actually helped them heal some sexual trauma. Here's a little preview of that conversation.
2: So um, we did a call and he started off by like asking me to tune into my body and asked how I felt, like what were all of the parts of me feeling and I just had a moment where I was like I just feel a lot of pain like I my knees hurt my ankles hurt my back was tight we just had a moment where we were acknowledging the amount of pain that my body was in that I wasn't acknowledging before and I just started crying like I was like oh my god like I can't like I can't believe that I'm just, like, crying, like, first time I get on this call with this person. I'm just here to get jerked off, like, kinda. But then I was like, okay, like, maybe there's some, like, healing stuff that we can
4: do.
1: Check out Selena's episode called Sex Work, White Supremacy, and Happy Ending Massages for that full conversation. And there are links to all of the episodes mentioned today in the description Thank you so much for tuning in to this very special episode of Private Parts Unknown. And thank you to my former co-host, Sophia Alexandra. She was delightful company on this trip, and it was so much fun. So give her a follow at the Sophia on social media. And to stay in touch between episodes, follow me at Courtney Kosak on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. To get the latest episodes, look down and make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast player right now. Of course, subscribe to our newsletter at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. The link for that also in the episode description. Shout out to Amy Rausch for the bomb-ass theme music. For more about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H.com. This episode was mixed by my ride-or-die audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And to put a little happy ending on this episode, could I ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Give us a five-star rating and review. It helps other people find the show, and it makes me feel so, so good. Again, that is ratethispodcast.com slash private. Or if you're listening on Spotify, just go to the upper left-hand corner of our page, click the star button, and then click all five stars happy ending unlocked. Thank you so much. Until next time, I am wishing you lots of horniness and happiness and duh, happy ending massages. Bye.